Well, our New Year's message series is called Believe for Greater Things. God doesn't want your 2016 to be the same as your 2015. God wants you, he wants our church family to believe him for greater things in this coming year, in the year 2016. Jesus said in John 14, 12, and I'd encourage you to pull out your white page in the middle of the bulletin. It has the verses and the outline written out there for you, as well as study questions on the back that will be used in some of the life groups this coming week as well. John 14, 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone... Are you an anyone? How many here are anyones? Okay, everybody. Everybody is an anyone. If, if anyone, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, God has put within your heart a desire to be like Jesus. In fact, that's what the word Christian means, somebody who is like Christ, somebody who is like Jesus. To be like Jesus is to feel the things that Jesus feels. To be like Jesus is to say the things that Jesus would say. To be like Jesus is to do the things that Jesus would do. Now, when I look at myself, I have a ways to go before I'm 100% like Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody hit 100% yet? <laughs> we have a ways to go, don't we? But that doesn't mean that God hasn't, doesn't have us on a journey to become more and more like Jesus. If we can make significant progress in 2016 in becoming more like Jesus, then we will, by definition, be doing greater things in 2016, doing greater things for God. Now, what was Jesus' main purpose? What was his goal in life? Well, Jesus himself tells us in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came, came to this earth, to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to this earth to seek and to save what was lost. And so Jesus' main purpose in life was to go after, to seek lost people so that they might be found. Everyone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is lost. What are they lost from? They're lost from a relationship with God. And Jesus came that they might be found and enter into a relationship with God. He came to seek and to save the lost. And what purpose do you believe or do you think he gave his disciples? Well, it was the very same purpose that he had. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A very uh, famous verse. It's often called the Great Commission. I'd encourage you to memorize it. It's a very, very important verse. It was Jesus' command to his disciples. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. And so these are Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew. Basically, Jesus is telling his disciples to keep on doing the same things that he's been doing. To keep on making disciples. Jesus had trained his disciples. And these verses in this great commission, he's commanding them to reproduce themselves spiritually. Just as he 
made them disciples, they are to make disciples who will in turn make yet more disciples. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ according to what the Bible teaches. So if you're a believer here this morning, when we see the word in the Bible, disciple, don't just think back of the 12. Those were the first ones, but everybody after is a disciple of Jesus as well. I'd like us to watch a short video about being a disciple of Christ. There are hurting people all around us. Anybody know any hurting person? Anybody who's going through some difficulties? Even somebody who's going through some problems in their lives and they don't have Jesus to help them. It's a sad place. People need a relationship with God. They were created to have a relationship with God to help them in their lives. And we have the responsibility as disciples of Jesus to reach out to those hurting people and lead them to the only one who can save them, who can help them both in this life and for eternity. To lead those people to become disciples who will in turn disciple others. And so the spiritual chain continues. And yet, statistics tell us that only 1% of evangelical Christians in America lead someone to Christ in a lifetime. 1%. The number should be reversed, should it not? 99% of Christians should lead someone to Christ, not just in a lifetime, but each and every year. Why are the numbers so low? What can we do if we are in the ineffective 1%? We're going to begin to answer those questions today. The message today is called Pray for Compassion. We're going to look at the life of Jesus, look at what his priorities were, what his priorities are, and make those our priorities for this coming year. And so what was the reason that Jesus came to this earth? So not all my questions are rhetorical. So <laughs> to, seek, to seek and save the lost. See, we already gave you the answer. I don't ask hard questions. It's to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' heartbeat. That's what he woke up every morning thinking he was going to do. He was going to seek and save the lost. And so what should our priority be when we wake up tomorrow morning on Monday morning? Okay. Our priority shouldn't be like, I've got to get out of bed. I've got to get to work on time. Well, that's part of seeking and saving the lost because there's a lot of lost people probably at your job, at your work. That's your mission field. But when you wake up, a Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and every day. God wants our priority to be on reaching the lost. What can I do? Now, you're not going to pray with somebody every day, get them down on their knees and pray, but that's our priority each and every day to reach the lost around us. So if you missed my message on January 3rd, the first message of the year was called Choose to Change. I'd encourage you to listen to it. Uh, it was a very important message, setting the tone for what we're going to be doing this year. And I would encourage you, even if you did hear me on January 3rd, to listen to it again. It's on our, on our church website. Now, God can help us, each one of us, get our priorities in order for the new year. Because God wants both you and our church together, because you are the church. The church isn't this building. The church is the people sitting in those chairs. And that's you and me. God wants our church to do greater things in 2016 for his kingdom. And how is that going to happen? It's going to happen as each of us believes God for greater things in our individual lives. 
believes God, has the faith, because that's what God wants to do in and through us in 2016. So today, let's begin to see what Jesus wants to teach us about reaching the lost. First of all, we need to see people as Jesus does. If you and I can better see people as Jesus sees them, then we're better going to be we're going to be better able to interact with them with the love of God. If we look at them in the way that Jesus doesn't look at them, as sometimes we tend to do, we're not going to be able to reach out to them. We're not going to be able to love them as God loves them. Jesus saw every person as a person of value. Jesus saw every person as a person whom God loved. Jesus saw every person as someone worth dying for. I've got a ways to go in seeing everybody like Jesus sees them. Jesus saw beyond the sins and the failings of people. And he looked to their potential as a child of God. What could this person be like if they were a child of God? And then he worked towards that end. Jesus saw people as like lost sheep. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 15, which illustrates how he saw people. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And so in this parable, Jesus is the shepherd. He had 100 sheep, but one is lost. One is missing. He's only 99 in the fold. And is Jesus satisfied with the 99 in the fold? I mean, I'm usually pretty happy with 99% on a test or 99% of anything, but Jesus wasn't happy. He wanted 100%. And this one was missing from the place they were supposed to be in. They were missing from the flock. And so Jesus saw every person who was not his disciple as a lost sheep. Somebody who was created to be with him. Somebody who was created to be part of his flock, but yet they were lost. They were away from their shepherd. Those lost sheep may have been rebellious. They may have been foolish. In wandering away from the flock. But Jesus didn't focus on the negative. He saw the value in every lost person. If they would just come and let him be their shepherd. If they would just come. And be part of his flock. Jesus saw that these lost sheep were harassed and helpless. The next uh, verse we want to look at is Matthew 9.36. It said, when he saw the crowds. How often do we see crowds? We see crowds a lot. You go to the mall, you see crowds of people. Go see a movie, you see crowds of people. You look at television, you see crowds of people. And when Jesus saw crowds of people, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
And so in this verse, Jesus first sees people as being harassed. You know, if people are harassed, there must be a harasser. And who is the harasser of people? It's Satan. He harasses people who are not part of Jesus' flock. If there's a person that you know who's not a believer, who's not a disciple of Jesus, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are being harassed. Oh, they might not act like it. They might act like they have everything together, but they are being harassed by Satan himself. They have no defenses against Satan's attack. They were helpless. The people were just like a sheep without a shepherd. What are sheep without a shepherd harassed by? They're harassed by wolves. They're harassed by thieves. In what defenses do sheep have? Bah. <laughs> Go away. Bah. They have no defenses at all. Sheep are helpless when they're harassed. And so Jesus saw people as being like lost sheep. Harassed and helpless. And what effect did that have on Jesus? Was he disgusted by people because they are harassed and helpless? No, he had compassion. He felt empathy for people. He felt sorry for them. He, his heart went out to them. Because if they only knew, they didn't have to be harassed and helpless if they would simply find their shepherd. And so compassion moved Jesus to meet the true needs of people, of the people that he saw. So what do we see when we look at lost people? People who are mired in various sins, people who are bogged down because of the results of their foolish decisions. Our natural tendency is to see ourselves as superior. I would never do such a foolish thing. Look at those silly sinners. Why do they do what they do? Our natural tendency is to be disgusted by them. Now, we should be disgusted by sinful behavior, should we not? It's silly. One of the sermon series that I've never preached, and I may never preach, but uh, I always have the title, Sin is Stupid. <laughs> and I've never preached it, I may never, but I... Somewhere in me, I'd like to preach it one day. Now, even though sin is foolish, even though sin makes no sense, even though sin is disgusting, we shouldn't be disgusted by the people themselves. We ought to have compassion on them because you know what? I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that every one of us here at one point in our life was what? Was a sinner. Was a lost sheep without a shepherd, doing foolish things, things that made no sense, hurting ourselves, hurting other people. And yet God had mercy on us. God saved us. Jesus had compassion on us. We should have compassion on people that we know who are lost, who are not yet believers, because without Jesus in their lives, they are harassed and helpless. They are in sin way over their heads. They can't find their way out. Now, they might not know that they're harassed and helpless. But deep down, that is the truth. So if we lack the compassion we should have for lost people, if we really don't care about them, if we look at people and we're 
either disgusted with them or we just don't even notice them, what can we do about it? Well, the most important thing is simply to pray. To pray for compassion. It's the title of the message. We need to pray to have Jesus' compassion for people who do not yet know Him. Ask God to birth that compassion and grow it in your heart. That's what I'm praying for myself as well. A compassion that's not content to leave people in their sin. A compassion that moves us to do our part in seeking and saving the lost. To do our part in bringing people to meet their shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so to do our part for the lost people in our circle of relationships, in our circle of influence, we must obey Jesus' commands. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. So what do you have to do to be a friend of Jesus? Obey his commands. If you don't obey Jesus' commands, are you Jesus' friend? No. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's not difficult to understand, and yet many people think they're friends of Jesus and don't obey his commands. So obeying Jesus' commands is not optional for a believer. You know, a friend of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus is a believer of Jesus. All synonymous terms. And so Jesus' friends are those who do what he commands. And those who choose not to obey Jesus' commands, they prove they're not his friends, they prove they're not his disciples at all. Many people call themselves Christians, don't obey his commands. They're not Christians, they're not true believers. So let's look at some of Jesus' commands with regard to reaching the lost. Matthew 9, 37 says, He said to his disciples, that's Jesus, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now this verse immediately follows the verse we just read about the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds as being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, he looks at the crowds and, and feels this compassion for these people. Then he looks at his disciples who were there at the same time, looking at the same crowds. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, I wonder what Jesus' disciples were thinking when they looked over the crowds. They might have been tempted to believe, well, you know, there's lots of people there. What can we do to help? You know, that seemed to be their natural tendency when Jesus told them to feed the crowds. Like, Jesus, are you, are you okay? We don't have the money to buy the food. We got a couple loaves. You know, these crowds just overwhelmed them. They thought, what can we do? Disciples may have been tempted to believe that those people out there, I mean, hundreds, maybe thousands of people sometimes in Jesus' crowds, they probably don't want to believe in, in you. I mean, they're Jews. Many of them don't believe the Messiah is coming. They're not ready to believe. But Jesus told them, as he looked out over the crowd, this crowd of people who was harassed and helpless, he said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, God has been working in these people's lives. And many of the people in this crowd are ready to believe. Many of these people are ready to follow Jesus. And so the problem is not that 
all of these people are resistant. The problem is not that none of these people want to believe. The problem is not that these people aren't interested. The problem is that God's harvest workers are few. God needed more harvest workers to bring in the harvest. And here bringing in the harvest means leading the lost to be saved and become disciples of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is not the people. The lost people not being ready. The problem is too few harvest workers. And so obviously Jesus' disciples at that time, and Jesus' disciples today, that includes you and me, must choose to work in the harvest. We must pray for more harvest workers. He goes on to say in verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. And so whenever we lack something, God wants us to pray for it. We pray here for additional co-workers to work in the harvest field where God has placed us. So our harvest field for Life Church is the St. Louis metro area. We have people coming from all parts. We must pray for more workers to help us in God's harvest field here in St. Louis. Final observation on these verses is God is looking for workers. So what does that mean about how easy it is to reach the lost, to bring in the harvest? Can you do... Can you bring in the harvest by <clears throat> using your remote? No, it's work. It's something you have to do. It's something that you have to make a priority in your life. It doesn't just happen. It's, it's work. Bringing the harvest is not easy. It's hard work, but God empowers those who work in his harvest field. So on this January 3rd message I already mentioned, choose... Uh, uh, what was it again? Choose to uh, change. Choose to change, yeah. I introduced the plus one challenge here at Life Church. Uh, if you weren't here, let me repeat it again. The plus one challenge for 2016 is to pray that God would help you add one person. How many did I say? A hundred? No, one person. Add one person to our church family in 2016. So the plus one challenge is to pray that God would help you add one person to our church family in 2016. Now, to add a person to our church family is not just to invite them and bring them to one service. That's not adding somebody. To add a person is that they become a regular attender, a regular member of the church. So if you have not yet, if you weren't here on the third, or perhaps you didn't respond to the challenge, I'd encourage you to accept the plus one challenge. Check the box on the back of your Connect card. There should be a place there to accept the plus one challenge. I'm going to pray. I'm going to work that God would use me to cause one person to be added to the church in the year 2016. Do you think that's too lofty a goal? Do you think that's too hard in a whole year, 365 days? If you don't have the faith, pray that God would give you the faith that God can use you. Not just the person next to you, God will use you to bring a person to be part of the church family. And I believe as we, be, as we work on this challenge, we're going to have God's stories to share about how God has opened doors 
for those of us who make it a priority in our lives to seek and save the lost this year, that God opens doors to interact with people, to invite them, to talk to them about the Lord. There's going to be many things that we can share. Now, to help us meet the Plus One Challenge, we're offering training for every person here. Uh, beginning in February, every life group is going to begin studying uh, Thrive, the Handbook for Christian Growth. There's a sample copy over there on the ministry table between the two doors. And this study material is going to help you to grow yourself uh, spiritually. It's going to give you the knowledge to be effective in working in the Lord's harvest field. It's going to help you to fulfill this plus one challenge. Now, these handbooks are going to be available in your life groups from your life group leaders. If you're not yet a regular attender at a life group, I'd encourage you to look over the times and locations in your bulletin and pick one that will work for your schedule uh, so that you can begin attending in February. If none of the groups works for your schedule, then I'd encourage you to note that on your Connect card or let me know in some way, uh, and we're going to see what we can do to help you receive this essential training. Uh, just let me know you want to do it. If none of the groups work because of your schedule uh, or location or what it may be, let me know and we will see what we can do to help everyone receive the training. Because we're going to be working together with God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. I just want to think about that term, God's fellow workers. The key point from this verse is that God does not leave us to do his work alone. It's not just you and lost people. It's you and God and lost people. God's already working on the people that you know in your life who do not yet know him. God's already working in their lives. And you are going to come alongside God, work with him as his co-worker, as his fellow worker to help bring people to Jesus. He's preparing the way, and we simply follow his directions as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, just before he ascended into heaven, he said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in order to be witnesses for Jesus, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs people who are witnessing for Jesus. He directs them in supernatural ways so that we can be effective. So that we can be effective in seeking and saving the lost. Our survey last year indicated that many in the church were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit as described in the book of Acts. And so I'd encourage you, uh, mention the book Sent to Your Neighbors. Missionary Jim Hall, who was with us last Sunday, wrote... We have additional copies, I believe, over there on the table between the doors, the ministry table sent to your neighbors. If you didn't yet pick one up, please pick one up. In the very first chapter, uh, there's good instruction on how to pray to be filled with the Spirit because it's an essential component in being used by God to reach the lost. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Cooperating with the Spirit in witnessing makes you much, much more effective. Working together with God involves learning as you follow Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Underline those three words, learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the illustration here of being yoked with Jesus is describing us working together with God and learning from him. In other words, you don't have to know everything to follow Jesus, to start following Jesus. You don't have to know everything to begin to reach out to the lost around you. You can learn as you follow Jesus. Jesus wants to teach you, but you need to be moving in the right direction in order for him to teach you one step at a time. And so as we work with Jesus, as we work together with him, our work is not burdensome. It is work, but it's something we can accomplish because God is going to help us accomplish his purposes. Now, I mentioned already the book uh, sent to your neighbors over there. If you haven't already, pick one up and read it because next week, Jim Hall, uh, missionary Jim Hall is going to be back with us for uh, his final visit here early in the year. And he's going to be teaching in the growth class on Sunday mornings at 8.30, teaching and concluding his instruction from his book, Sent to Your Neighbors, which talks about how we can reach the people we know. Our neighbors are the people we live next to. Our neighbors are the people we work with. Our neighbors are our relatives that we know. Uh, Anybody that you have a relationship with or you have influence with are your neighbors. And then he's going to be preaching on Sunday morning, next Sunday morning as well, in concluding his uh, time with us. Now, as always, the Sunday morning messages are available as uh, videos on our website. And last Sunday's growth class, we did video it. That is available on the city website. The city website, is, uh, we mentioned every Sunday, lifechurchonthecity.org, uh, is kind of an internal website that's for, our, uh, for those who sign up for the most part, and we encourage everybody to sign up. As the church continues to grow, we're going to be using it increasingly to communicate with the members and attenders of the church. It's an easy thing. Just go there and you put in a few little information about yourself and you can get access to the site. So if you're not yet on the city and you have a computer or a smartphone, we encourage you. There is an app for a smartphone as well. Uh, We encourage you to sign up there so you get all the information that you need. And so God wants all of us to believe him for greater things in 2016. How many here are ready to believe God for greater things for your life and for our church in 2016? About 70%. We'll pray for the other 30. Pray that you believe God for greater things. If you don't believe God for greater things, I guess you have two options. Believe in God for more of the same or believe in God for lesser things. Now that would be grim, wouldn't it? So we want you to believe God for greater things. These greater things are not simply things that we want for our lives. The greater things we're talking about are things that are God's priority, the things that are God's will for your life. Those are the greater things that we want. And as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that is part of the greater things, not everything God wants for you in the new year, but that is part of the greater things that God wants for you. It should be part of your priorities for 2016. So let's begin to pray in our prayer times this year that God would help us to see people as Jesus saw them. That God would help us to have compassion on people just as Jesus did. May we make a decision of our will to 
obey Jesus and choose to seek the lost that we know with God's help. I pray that each one here would accept the plus one challenge and not just check the box on your connect card and forget about it by next week. You won't forget because I'll keep reminding you all year. And we're going to have stories up here how God has used you. And we're going to have stories from people who have been saved and become part of the church through your witness this year who are going to stand before us and who are going to say, because you cared enough, because you prayed, because you had compassion, I am now a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm now part of this church family. So 2016 is going to be an exciting year. It's going to be a year full of challenges, but it's going to be an exciting year as we walk with Jesus, as we learn and grow together with God. Now this morning, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's how to become a believer. Now, you don't become a believer, a disciple of Jesus, by saying, I believe in God. I mean, obviously you have to believe in God, but that's not enough. Probably the vast majority of people on this planet believe that God exists, but that doesn't make them a Christian. You don't become a believer or a follower of Jesus because you were baptized, because your parents had you baptized as an infant. You don't become a believer because you're a good person, because you think you're better than the person next to you. You become a believer by admitting that you've sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You admit that you've sinned. And you ask Jesus to forgive you. You believe. Jesus died on the cross and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. You put your trust in him and you commit your life to following him as your Lord. What does that mean? It means that you choose to obey what he commands what the Bible says that we ought to do. So we're going to play, pray a simple prayer. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, I encourage you to pray along with me. If you have in the past and you want to recommit your life this new year to walk with God in a new way, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer as well. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been following my plan for my life and not yours. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that I might be forgiven. And he rose from the dead three days later. And I commit my life to serving him as my Savior and my Lord all the days of my life. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you that I am now not lost but found. And Father, for those of us who are believers, God, we pray for ourselves in this new year. We thank you for challenging us this morning as individuals and as a church family for 2016. We want to believe you for greater things. We don't want our lives in this church to say the same in 2016. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forward. We want to believe you for greater things. Help us to see people as you do. Help us to have love for people as you do. Help us to see people as harassed and helpless and then give us a compassion in our hearts for the lost. 
Give us the will to be workers in your harvest, not just to work for ourselves. Obviously, we have to work to provide, but to work for somebody else, that they might become part of your family. May we pray for more harvest workers. We choose, God, to work together with you to reach out to those in our circle of influence. We choose, God, to accept and to work towards the plus one challenge each and every day. And may some here today double that challenge or even more. Help us to learn from you as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. May each person here be able to find a group to study in this Thrive Handbook for Christian Growth that we all might grow as disciples of Jesus Christ this year. And we look forward, God, to great things that you're going to be leading us into in this year 2016. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.